Today, 12 Lies in the Church. This was originally recorded as a bonus track to a series called How to Tell What is True, which I am sure you realize is an extremely important skill today as we are awash in lies. To get that series, you may go to www.greatshalom.org, www.great, like big, G-R-E-A-T, shalom, S-H-A-L-O-M.org. Choose the shop tab and go and get the product, the several episodes. I think maybe eight altogether episodes, which were originally recorded for the Great Shalom Overcoming Learning Problems. So Great Shalom Ministry is a podcast ministry or a broadcast ministry aimed at helping parents and educators who are helping children overcome their learning problems, which we have quite a few of. All right, But because this was particularly for the church and because Jesus' patterned son is for people who are within the church, within the ecclesia, and who are aiming at maturity, I thought I would share this with you. You might see the latest episode that I did on Jesus Pattern Son about my plans for the forthcoming episodes. Okay, so bless you. Hope you enjoy this. Let me know. Bless God, I'm glad to be back with you finishing up our series on how to tell what is true. Please go back and listen to the episodes. There is no more important, well, it's a pretty important series in this hour. We are so awash in lies and I am appalled to the extent to which that people still are asleep. But I feel feel sleepy myself because it's just so overwhelming. And it's so unbelievable how bad things are. But then also I see some friends going over the edge. We're all effed. And, 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 and they're just ranting this. No, there is hope because God has told us. We are not to be surprised because God has told us. And we do have a map. We do have a manual. It's right there in the Bible. We were told this would happen, and we're told what to do. And so, in terms of being parents and educators, very clearly it's laid out, although it's helpful for everybody, in Second Timothy, the last part of the second chapter, and the first part of the third chapter. It talks about perilous times and what a teacher does, and we teach patiently. Okay, so, and I have a whole series on that a product you can go to greatshalom.org go to the shop tab and get it I'm running a sale on it right now that will help you but I want to talk today about lies in the church how to tell what is true and I'm just going to list some lies and explain a little bit and I think this will open up your mind so much. It might be challenging for, for those of you who are more religious, who are more involved in your particular denomination. But 
I think this is really important because it's scary the extent to which the church is completely swept away in the lies of of the government media today or else huddling in a corner and how few, how small the remnant is that knows the truth and knows what to do and can speak the truth and can move forward at all. And I'm I really concerned that we are behind. I'm really concerned because the scripture says the bride has made herself ready. Well, I know that God can see the end from the beginning and he's got a plan and he's got course correction. The question is, are we going to be in it? How big will that bride be? The bride has made herself ready. So, in fact, that's one of the lies. I was recently instructed by somebody who wanted to show that they, had, you know, they knew better and they were more spiritual because I was concerned. But they said, no, Jesus will make us ready and it will all be in his time. Well, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says the bride has made herself ready. And I want us to to apply ourselves to Bible knowledge and you can sit back and have a great time in your little corner of the world today but is that really in the end of the story the best choice okay so the lies in the church and I hope that pointing these out will just pull the curtain back and give you better vistas of the truth of the truth it seems that we have curtains of the wool pulled over our eyes so very much and God's word is the truth and God's spirit will lead us into liberty with the spirit of truth okay so I think maybe I have 12 here so the first one I'm going to say is the lie of fatality this is what Finus Ewing called it he was more or less the founder of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. The lie of fatality. So people seem to think that that they are saved or they're not saved and and they can't do anything about it. So they are born into X denomination. They do what X denomination says and then they assume that they're fine. So he was a Presbyterian in about 1800, 1810, 1825, and he preached to people who, by and large, were in the church, and he asked them to get saved. <laughs> and they did. So how am I going to get this across to you? People think they're saved because they have joined a church, because they have answered an altar call which is a good first step, but you understand that's that's not all of salvation. Or they go to a church that doesn't do that and they assume that they've put their faith in Christ because they assent to the doctrines. This is what I, or, or not. But they everybody seems to think they can't do anything about this. Whether they're Pelagian or, or not, whether they're uh, Armenian or Calvinist, they, they both seem to act as if they, they can't do anything about it. And so that's what Finus Ewing was saying in terms of fatality. Don't just act like a fatalist, you know, the will of Allah. No, that's no. <laughs> you need to decide if you're 
accepting God's grace. You need to pursue God and you need to pursue God until you understand, know, feel, and demonstrate the salvation of God. You can know whether you're saved or not. In fact, this was one of Wesley's big points. You can know whether you're saved. And I would submit to you that faith without works is dead. So if you are being saved, because salvation is a process, justification, sanctification, and glorification. So just because you understand justification, are you being sanctified? So the whole idea of becoming more holy seems to have gone out the window. I don't know any denomination or group that's working on that now. None. Not even the Nazarenes. Okay, I'm sorry. The Wesleyans gotten it entirely. So salvation is a process. So yes, good, you, you started the walk, you accepted, you were justified. Have you? I don't know. Lots of people haven't. But if you're on the process, then you will demonstrate the works. We're saved unto good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. So by grace we are saved. God's grace and the first point, that's, that's the reformer's point. God's grace received by our faith, but unto good works. So if you are saved, you will be demonstrating those kinds of works. So in other words, a, a lifestyle that looks saved. And don't expect to get to glorification without that. And it seems like everybody is into fatality. Either they think we're all effed, or else they think that Jesus is coming any day, and that nobody seems to think they have to do anything. Beloved, authority has been given to human beings, <laughs> and particularly to those who are in Christ Jesus, because you know the story that, that Adam and Eve gave away their authority, and Satan ruled the world. He still is trying, but Jesus has the keys of the kingdom. All authority was given to him. And in him, as his body, we have authority. We need to take some. Okay? So, the lie of fatality. You need to get with God and do something. Okay? In God, not of your own works. But we'll talk about that later. So, the lie of fatality is number one. The lie of no release from sin is number two. So, where I live, most of the Christians often, or maybe a majority, say, Oh, well, we sin every day. And what they mean by that is um, we just, we're comfortable with that because we understand that we're sinners. We are sinners, they say. They say we are sinners and therefore you need to understand that we sin every day and therefore you need to be comfortable with that. And I, I, I heard this in Sunday school and I thought, eh, that doesn't seem right to me. But the, the person who was teaching Sunday school and I thought it didn't seem right, well, he's a plumber. And uh, I was doing business with him, and I discovered, yeah, he sins every day. <laughs> I don't do business with him anymore. Okay, this is not Bible. I don't care how much you have been taught this in Sunday school. It is not Bible. First John 3 and verse 8, maybe 9, it says, The one who is born of God does not sin. The one who is born of God does not sin. So if you experience that you sin every day, you need to question whether or not you're born again. Let me say that again. If you experience that you are sinning every day, you need to question whether you're born again. Now, of course, we do sin. And there, 
there's another big group of people who have been taught that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and amen. Amen. We should confess that toward possession. The Bible says you were sinners and now Christ died for you that you may be the right this righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're in the process of that. Yes, we were sinners. We are no longer sinners. However, we do notice that we sin. And if we sin, notice there is the if. Okay, so this is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we sin, we have, you know, the promises of God that God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse. So don't, don't say just faithful to forgive us and to cleanse. So you don't go around sinning because you know God's going to forgive you. I mean, Paul addresses that in Romans, calls that antinomianism. Well, Paul doesn't call it that, but people who study Romans do. So, no, there's still a better way of proceeding. Even if you think you're not required to keep the Mosaic law, it doesn't mean that there are no guidelines now, that there's not a right and a wrong. There is a right and a wrong, contrary to another religion entirely. And you see whose civilization has progressed. And who would you rather do business with? Somebody who knows there is a right and a wrong and has pledged to do it. Yes. Okay. So this is a lie of no release from sin. So I like to explain this, the fact that I like Wesley's words. No necessity of sin is laid upon us. No necessity of sin is laid upon us. So we don't have to sin. If we had to sin, then we wouldn't be guilty for our sin. We have the option of not sinning. And so sin is sin. And so if you do sin, you need to repent. But repent is not just say, I'm sorry in church. Repenting is, yes, you should feel sorry for it, but you need to stop and turn around and go a different direction. You stop sinning. So if anybody religiously tells you, oh, we sin every day, and therefore we should be comfortable, tell them no, no, shake them and make them read the Bible with you. And I do not know why it is true that people can go to Sunday school class all their lives and read out orally the verses, but then completely not, not pay attention to them. And the denomination that says we read the Bible cover to cover, well, it seems that they focus on the covers, right? Let's read what's in between and actually see what's on the page. And if you don't understand it, fine, but let's not make up stories. All right, so there's the lie of fatality that we're saved because, no, you need to find out if you're saved and you need to know that you're saved and you need to be demonstrating that you're saved. The lie of no release from sin, no. We are not controlled or owned by sin once we are saved. And your life should show that. And yes, we, we do sin. We're not going to go around proud and say we never ever sin. But when we do sin, we repent. That doesn't mean we, we say we're sorry in church or out of church. And, and there's really a problem with with churches whose liturgy has been dumbed down to to 
confessions and then watered down to being confessions that we sin. Okay, so you understand in liturgical churches, part of the the morning, uh, the the liturgy is a confession of sin, and then there's supposed to be the priest that uh, affirms or the minister who affirms pardon. Okay, so Derek Prince spoke about this: that why should we we make this a ritual of always repenting because we haven't always sinned? That was. Derek Prince's point, but my point is what I'm seeing is not a confession of sin, not a repentance of sin, even in words, but a confession of that we do sin. Confession that we do sin. Okay, we're sinners, and we'll always be sinners. No, that's what your liturgy should not be saying. Okay, so there is a release from sin. We should expect not to sin, and when and if Notice the word if. If we sin, then we should repent. Be washed from that sin. We are released from sin in Christ. That's what it means to be saved. The lie of conversion without regeneration. So oftentimes conversion is like changing from one political party to another. It's just changing of an idea or changing of group that you affiliate with. No. Salvation is includes regeneration. So it's not just a change of party affiliation, but a new life in Christ. You're a new species. And if you're a new species, you're going to look, act, walk differently. And yes, you may be a baby Christian and you may grow in maturity, but you need to know that you're a new species. That's what being born again is. And if your church is not teaching this, then run away from it and get in one who does. Now, Yeah. Okay. The lie of super sovereignty. Okay. So God is sovereign, meaning he's going to win in the end. God is sovereign, meaning he's outside of time and space and he's the creator and and is everything non-contingent. But super sovereignty, this is the way that, that another teacher calls it super sovereignty, meaning that we don't have any responsibility. That anything that happens must therefore be God's will. Well, this isn't biblical. Because the Bible says clearly, in Peter that, one of the epistles to Peter that, okay, so God is not willing that any should perish, which means that he doesn't always get his way because he let us have some choice. Okay, so the verse is Second Peter 3 and 9. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what Peter is saying here is that God is being very patient. And the fact that he hasn't come back and slapped everybody with judgment is not because he's not paying attention, but because he's so patient, he's long-suffering to usward. So he's waiting on us on us to get saved, on us to get mature. God doesn't want anybody to perish. God doesn't want to have to judge anybody. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell. Actually, I don't know that God's, well, God sends demons and fallen angels to hell, but humans choose to go. But anyway, God wants everyone to come to repentance. God wants everybody to come into the kingdom of God. 
He's not willing that any should perish. But do people perish? Yes. God wants everybody healed. But does everybody get healed? No. Many people don't believe it and wouldn't receive it. God wants all children to have total well-being. Does that happen? No, because not all of them are taught of the Lord. Isaiah 54 and 13, if you don't know. All your offspring shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their shalom. God wants total well-being for all of us. Does that happen? No, because of our choices, because he allowed us a choice. So, I understand the reform point that it's all in God's grace. It's not our power. But it's an ongoing argument between the Armenians and the Calvinists because both of them have a point. Yes, it's God's grace. It's God's power. But yes, humans have a choice. And humans are responsible for their choice to receive God's grace. Okay. So the lie of super sovereignty. And I think I, I may have mentioned this earlier, but I'm certainly going to say this now. I was saying I was a little concerned about the church because I don't see the kind of maturity and I don't see the kind of alacrity of, of serving in this world, going about and doing good. As Jesus did, I'm concerned that the church isn't mature and the bride has made herself ready. This is a person. Revelation. And somebody countered me was trying to instruct me no 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 jesus is going to make the bride ready in his own good time right so therefore we don't have to worry we can just go about our own pleasure and power profit have a great time in our little corner of the world you know continue to eat drink and be merry and rather than applying ourselves to learning and to service i don't think so so she corrected the bible yeah, that doesn't work, right? You may think you're more spiritual than me because you can sit there all happy and I'm concerned, but I'm quoting scripture and you are correcting the scripture. No, that mistake I'm classifying under the lie of super sovereignty. So God is sovereign. Yes, absolutely. God is in control if you ask him to be in control in your life, but otherwise you're in control because you can kick God out of your life. Okay, so the lie of fatality, the lie of no release from sin, the lie of conversion without regeneration, and the lie of super sovereignty. The lie of God's timing is the same. Now, it's true that there is seed, time, and harvest. Some things take some time. It's not true that God is a crockpot God. God can do things immediately. If God is slow to work, it's because we're slow to receive. So somebody who is eager and even anxious to get some progress is not wrong. It should not be told, well, God's timing. No, they're just being urged to be lazy like everybody else. I don't know what the problem might be. The problem may be that they need to learn something or they need to claim something or they need to knock in a door. I don't know what the issue is. But nobody ever got anywhere by laying on their bed well except they may have gotten some rest but if you want a business you go out and do business if you want to ministry you go out and minister and and I'm up to here 
with my hand over my head with people saying, oh, well, in God's timing. Well, you're going to die and rot in the grave saying God's timing. Yeah, God has timing. And some things on the world affairs take longer than we want. But that might be because we're so slow. Yes, well, in Revelations, the first chapter, Jesus is shown with feet of brass. He's going slowly. Why? Because he is patient, long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. So God is, God is slow to, for us, just like, just like a parent walks slowly with their toddler. But that's not because God is slow. And I'm, so I'm up to here with, oh, wait on God's timing. No. Okay, so that's related to the next lie. The lie that compliance is obedience. Compliance to men, men's foolish rules, even if they're religious rules, is not obedience to God. It's not the same. Now, people like it when you're compliant. People like it when you sit down, shut up, and be quiet. They don't like it if you speak the truth and going about doing good works. Did they, were, were people happy with Jesus? Was Jesus perfect? Yes, Jesus was perfect. He went about doing good, releasing men from the devil. And the Jewish authorities were beside themselves. And the Romans weren't too sure. <laughs> and Herod certainly wasn't good, good with it. Compliance is not the same as obedience to God. And boy, I got a super duper heaping helping of this. Now, children need to learn to be obedient to their parents. And parents typically are asking for obedience that is for the child's good. And when somebody is newly saved, then yes, there needs to be some application to, to discipleship. And even somebody who's old and experienced needs to apply themselves to learn something. You have to pay attention, right? So in a certain way, that's a compliance. You have to set goals and then you comply to it. So it's true that obedience has some compliance in it, but obedience to God and compliance to men is not the same thing. And I just read a wonderful book and the author wasn't wasn't put in it, but it showed both from Bible and from history and from sociology that the church that has one leader and everybody else fits into that is a lot weaker than the church that has many leaders. This is somewhat of a surprise because we're used to the one leader church. And if you have a strong leader, then you have a, a bit stronger church. Because we have a lot of weak churches because people stay in leadership only because they comply with the fleshly desires of those around them. And so we have a lot of weak churches. And the strong leaders can be one-pointed about glamour numbers, where we're going to talk about that. And so the church appears strong in numbers, but is very weak. There's no discipleship going on. There is very little prayer or Bible study or even teaching from the pulpit in most of these uh, very large churches. And so the lie that compliance is obedience. I'm, I recall Matt Sorger talking about this quite a bit. Now, Matt Sorger 
in about 2010, 2011, 2012, in that time frame, he got on the cover of Charisma magazine. So he's an evangelist, and he was about 30 at the time. And he would talk a lot about the mentors of young ministers, well, or, or of lay people too, but the mentors would ask them to sit down and be quiet for so long. And because he mentioned this a lot, I can only guess that maybe this happened to him. Here is a man, a young man, well, from, from his youth, who had pursued God, who was familiar with God, who had a calling to go out and do something, and, and in a more independent way because he is an evangelist. So the pastors that he would apprentice under wanted more compliant, more, you know, doing less. And he felt that also that so often in church, the laity is asked to sit in pews, sit there, be quiet and give money. When they're often called to do service, works of service, ministries of service, there are all kinds of ministries in the Bible, and you can see that in Romans and Corinthians, etc. And if everybody were going out and doing those things, then we would have a stronger church. We would have stronger congregations, a stronger church, and a much more Christian culture, a much safer, truthful, and, and prosperous culture. Now understand, I am not speaking against mentorship, and neither was Matt Sorger. I know he goes out to learn from people who have gone before him assiduously. But the point here is the wrong kind of leadership that tamps down. Instead of trains, it asks people to sit down and be quiet. That's not how Jesus mentored. He sent his disciples out and then regrouped with them after, yes? Mm. So they weren't just sitting doing nothing. That's the point. Compliance to men is not obedience to God. Obedience to God is obedience to God. On the other hand, we have some people who have overwhelming pride and maybe too much testosterone who go out and lead in a way that's domineering and uneducated, unequipped. But because they are doing something and because it would create division to make them in order, they then get approved of. Uh, so, so that's a problem in itself, that you approve of inappropriate, disorderly leadership simply because you don't know how else to deal with it. So that's a problem. But it's, it's also a problem stepping one step back because those tend to be men. And the women tend to be more compliant. So you have great leadership and service gifts in women that have been shuttered for a lifetime. And they are sweeping floors when they could be leading Sunday schools. They are, you know, serving at potlucks when they could be Amy Simple McPherson's and but they just simply don't have the the chutzpah or the rebellion to do that because they're being compliant and they're being told over and over again that compliance to the church leadership 
is obedience to God and there's weeping in heaven over this Jesus distributes gifts to be used and there are needs that are going unmet needs in hospitals and the caring mothers have been put in closets there there are people who should be preaching who are in serving as intercessors because that's the only place that they're granted and and then there are overwhelming domineering Jezebels who are in charge of those prayer groups because pastors don't know how to put things in order so uh, anyway the lie of compliance being obedience then there's the lie of works okay yes we should be serving and we should be doing something but we don't work in our own our own strength and I don't I don't know how to tell you to do this right I, I somebody who knows how come and, and tell us contact me but then there's also the works of works righteousness it seems to me that every group of people who want to pursue God and want to press into God then just fall off into the ditch of works you know we've got people who are trying to keep the mosaic law well and so what you find is that they don't eat pork and now they're uh, celebrating Sukkot but that's all they're, they're not right reading the Bible well that's so much easier than actually pursuing God well it seems so but it's you're gonna have a less result and then and then of course the older you know tr- make a list women should should be modest okay so we have to dress like this you know and men should do blah 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 blah. and and so if we keep these lists that we're good you know and it's a silly list yes women should be modest but does that mean they can't wear their wedding ring yeah i mean it's a it's always gets silly so you fall off into the ditch of works and and even even the best people you know they're working themselves to be threadbare trying to get to do their calling in God and there needs to be empowerment of the spirit okay and then on the other side is the lie of Gnosticism so those people who are used to studying the Bible they're going to know that there was the Judaizers and the Gnostics okay but the Gnostics were a particular religion of people got more and more spiritual but in today's world the very best of the church is getting into this right so if you have you can prophesy better and better and is it even prophecy or is it showing off you know is it are you even hitting the goal or is it just a bunch of nonsense so back in the old days of the latter rain there was a a presbytery of prophets so prophecy was judged but if you go out and if you use it as an evangelistic tool and blessings on that idea but there's a falling off into the ditch of I'm more spiritual than you it's so frustrating anytime you go into a new group because you haven't been in that group and you haven't earned your wings in that group then obviously I'm better than you are it doesn't matter where you are and it doesn't matter what you tell them either because they'll talk over you (laughs) they'll talk over you (laughs) 
<laughs> if you give them any kind of evidence to the contrary, they'll talk over you. Anyway, so the whole idea of I'm more spiritual than you is in the ditch. That doesn't work. The most spiritual person is probably going to be the most humble. Okay, so the lie of works, the lie of, uh, uh, well, we'll call it Judaizing, but it's not just Judaizing because that's a particular kind of work. So the law of works or the law of I'm more spiritual, the lie of works and the lie of I'm more spiritual than you are, both of them. Okay, and then there's the lie of numbers and the lie of glamour. So the person who has a bigger business may be a better businessman, possibly more corrupt, but, but probably a better businessman, except for the possibility of corruption. The person who has a bigger ministry may be a more skilled pastor, evangelist, etc. There is competence. Competence counts. But you know what? That might not be the only thing. Because you can, you can grow because of sponsorship, and you can grow because of competence, and you can grow even because Satan lets you, because you're off track. And you can, even if it was for good reasons, you can have left some of the spirituality that started you. It is possible. Numbers do not tell the whole story. In some cases, numbers are good. May the church grow, and may your evangelistic and mission budget grow. Yes. However, that does not prove that you are better. <laughs> and glamour. So maybe you have the best set Maybe your worship team and the fog and the blah, 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 you've got the, that's all fine, maybe. But, but that's not the point. Is that really a worship experience or is it just an impressive concert? So numbers and glamour can lie to you. In fact, the verse that says, the love of money is the root of all evil. If you really drill down into the Greek of that, it really says the love of shiny things. So numbers and glamour and money are all, I'm classing them all together. The lie of numbers and the lie of glamour. Yes, and so maybe this is why God didn't want David to number the people. So you don't want to be lifted up for that. You have more responsibility if you have more people. And God can save by many or few. So don't let that distract you. The lie of don't inquire and the lie of prophetic distractions. So here is a pair. I was in a large Sunday school. I was a participant in a large Sunday school. And the teacher was well liked because he prepared, because he had lovely PowerPoints with pictures of, of the Holy Land and stuff. But we got on the topic of the end times and he said well really we have been told haven't we that we should not inquire we should not be studying the end times that's just not what we do and the group agreed this was a mature n mature class but you know more than 50 people in the room maybe 75 people and and probably everybody over 50 and everybody agreed and went on so is that right? Were we, were, have we been taught that we should not inquire, we should not study anything about the end times? Uh, no. 
It is the glory of kings to search out a matter. And the Lord has told us much in the Bible about the end time. So why would you make up a story that you shouldn't study it? Now, there are different ideas about the end time. Fine. We should not let division come in the church because of this. Fine. You know, I think it's the Church of God that's their their official statement is that we are not going to have division over whether it's uh, the rapture is before or mid or even possibly post tribulation. So that's 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 I think that's in their published documents. <laughs> and good for them, good for them. They understand that there is somewhat of a diversity. And they're, they, they do study it, and they're not going to have division over good. Absolutely right. So in Jesus' time, everybody was looking for the Messiah. Did they have a right idea of it? No, but hallelujah, they were looking. So that's the point. We obviously are in the end times. How it exactly is going to play out, I don't think that any of us have 100% bead on it. We have some clues in the Bible. We've been told so that we wouldn't be surprised. Didn't Jesus say this? Yes. The, the prophets from the beginning to the end. Okay, have said this. So it is a lie that we should not inquire. And, and maybe that lie got there because of the fear of division. But we can inquire without division. And in fact, I think that we have to have all the saints to comprehend God. That's why each of us is a limited mortal human being and none of us can comprehend all of God. But, I mean, each one of us, we can't comprehend all of God or even all of God's truth in the Bible. But together, with each one of us putting what we do comprehend together, then the Lord will bring us together and, right, <laughs> that's part of the end times is we tend to focus on the bad stuff in Revelation and those kinds of things. But let's focus on the end of the story that's in Ephesians that Christ, you know, all things will be summed up in Christ and Christ in God. Hallelujah. It would be part of that. So, so let's don't inquire as a lie. But the lie of prophetic distraction is another lie. If you think you're so spiritual because you're hanging on this prophet, that prophet's, all the prophet's, uh, words about today. That's not the point. Prophets, a true prophet's going to encourage you to get back on the path of God. The true prophet is going to be in a line with Scripture. True prophet is going to ring with Holy Spirit in you. So if the prophet is not encouraging you to study your Bible, you to to hear from God yourself, then you need to find a better one. <laughs> <laughs> and that seems to be quite quite the thing today. Well, we do have a lot of ferment, and I'm, I appreciate that we do have some prophets, and some of them have been very helpful. But it's a lie if you let that distract you. Okay? So, the lies in the church today, the lie of fatality, I'm saved or, or not, whatever. The lie of no release from sin. The one who is born of God does not sin. So you should expect and focus and set your, your face like a flint to not have a life of sin. 
the lie, yeah, uh, any kind of sin. And, and don't make up corporate sin. <laughs> don't make up stories. Learn what the Bible says. Read what the Bible says. Apply what the Bible says. The one who is born of God does not sin. First John and I think it's verse 8. The lie of conversion without regeneration, it's not party spirit, it's not what you believe, it's new species in Christ. The lie of super sovereignty, you have a responsibility. The lie of God's timing, yes, don't just assume, don't just make up a story about timing so you can pat yourself on the back and be complacent, not do anything. The lie... Or, or not help, not pray for for some young person with fire in their belly, or old person with fire in their belly. Stop telling them. Wait for God's timing. Yes, they have to pray and, and, and get their steps and their blueprint, sure. But don't tell them. Wait for God's timing. All right, or, and God's a crockpot God nonsense. Okay, lie of compliance to men is obedience to God. No, obviously not. The lie of works, the lie of of spiritual ladder, whatever, Gnosticism, the lie of numbers and glamour, and the lie of don't inquire, and the lie of prophetic distraction. I think that's 12. Okay? So go out and pursue truth. Go out, require truth in your realm. Require truth in your realm. You don't have to call out everybody, but notice who's telling you the truth. Align with people who tell the truth, and you require business to be done truthfully and if your business if you work for somebody and they're lying and they're uh, requiring you to lie you leave you're not responsible for everything that the business does but if they're requiring you to lie leave okay and you don't have to call out everybody but in your sphere require truthfulness and for goodness sakes teach your children and then Apply yourself to God's truth because God is truth. And you're going to find the Bible is truth. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, it's, it's it's a huge lie that the Bible contains the Word of God. See, that's just one step off so that then you find if you go down that path over and over again, there's less and less of the Bible that you receive as true. And so that's what you find in a liberal church. They're using Sunday school that's a quarterly, quarterly Sunday school material that only teaches what's palatable. And then the teacher will teach what's most palatable, palatable of that lesson. And so you get a, a very happy, smiley, watered down version of Christianity that's not powerful and doesn't get people on the right path. And that's why we have a weak church and a society that's slipping into the abyss. There are lies in the church. Go for truth. Make the truth, make the church truthful by being truthful yourself. Amen. I know you want to get my Dangerous Times Secrets to Victory for Parents and Educators. You need it. It will revolutionize the way you deal with your children or teach your class. I guarantee it. <laughs> Vital Teaching. Four CDs in a set. $50. 
write me at P.O. Box 971, Cedar Park, Texas 78630. And as a bonus, because you have stuck with me to the very end, we do have a freebie. It is a document, several pages long, a PDF on 20 questions to ask to tell if something is true or not. So if you're presented with a claim, ask these 20 questions and you should be able to sort it out. All you have to do is go to the JesusPatternSun.org website, sign up for our announcement list, and we will send you the 20 questions to how to tell if something is true. Okay, you may get the whole product by going to greatshalom.org, selecting the shop tab, and buying the product, which you can then download. And PayPal handles the transactions, but you may use your credit card. Please come to the website, contribute, communicate, and of course, share this with your friends. Let people who are interested know about it. Let us go on to be like Jesus. God wants you healed. That's right. Forget about why God may not want you healed. He does want you healed, well and healthy. And in Sharon Sarles' new book, God Wants You Healed, she shows you this from a biblical perspective. This new book is available now and can be obtained in either a downloadable format or in hard copy at www.greatshalom.org. That's www.greatshalom.org. And remember, God wants you healed. Please be invited to write us at sister at jesuspatternson.org. That's sister at jesuspatternson.org. Or you may write us by land mail at P.O. Box 971, Cedar Park, Texas, 78630. That's P.O. Box 971 Cedar Park, Texas 78630. And may the Lord bless you.